Welcome to Let's Talk Careers Podcast, where we discuss how education can set you apart from the crowd and elevate your career. If you're looking for support, inspiration, or a reason to not give up, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview individuals who have used their education to reach great heights in their career. We provide real-life examples and encouragement to support students on their career journeys. If you're ready to talk careers with us, then stay tuned. back to another episode of Let's Talk Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Miss Riley, accounting instructor here at SAU, and we have an awesome episode for you all today. If you are an accounting or finance major, you most certainly want to check out this episode. RCB Outstanding Student of the Year, Jarius Curry, will be my co-host today, and he'll be interviewing Miss Natalia Miro, who's an SAU alumni who has accomplished some pretty amazing things in her career. Ms. Natalia was offered a position at one of the big four accounting firms while she was a senior here at SAU. Yes, you heard me correctly. Ms. Natalia, while still pursuing her degree, was offered a position at one of the largest accounting firms in the USA. And that was only the beginning for Ms. Mira. She is now the CFO where she manages over $46 billion in private equity funds. To say that Ms. Natalia has accomplished some pretty amazing things in her career is an understatement. Tune in to hear Ms. Natalia's opinion on the education that she received here at SAU and how it prepared her for her very successful career. Um, I'm Jarius Curry. I'm an entrepreneurship major. Um, I'm also a member of the Business Student Advisory Council. And I'm interviewing Miss Natalia Mira. Did I say that correctly? Yes, that's perfect. Um, do you mind introducing yourself to to the audience and letting people know more about you? Absolutely. Well, I'm a proud HIG uh, HIG CFO and SAU alumni and graduate um, from many years ago. We're not going to go into specifics how long ago, but um, you know, I work in the financial services industry. Um, I was a former accounting um, and arts major at SAU, so I got a double major in uh, foreign languages with an emphasis in Spanish and accounting from SAU. And after that, spent 10 years in Chicago working for KPMG and uh, recently um, now going on 11 years uh, with HIG Capital as the now Chief Financial Officer of the Private Equity Platform here in Miami. Mm. What led you to your current current position? I've always loved uh, accounting, finance, and anything to do with the investment industry. I, uh, again, first decided to select um, accounting as my major at SAU. I was told that maybe it was too theoretical for me, maybe it was too boring, um, that I should be careful, you know, some folks, including my husband, another SAU alumni, um, you know, wanted to caution me to truly think about it, yet there were other folks actually at SAU, a lot of my academic advisors and professors that said, if you have the, you know, the gene for it, Go for it because it's the language of business. 
So once you know that, uh, you can go into finance, you can branch out into many other areas. It's far more difficult to go in the opposite direction. So uh, once I graduated from SAU, I was fortunate to be hired by KPMG, one of the big four accounting firms. I was actually hired during my senior year at SAU. Um, the, the School of Business was amazing, connecting us with the right future employers and, you know, facilitating the interview process. So I was, I had my offer signed in my, you know, in the fall of my senior year. And I was excited to see what public accounting was all about. So I, I moved to Chicago and I um, started in audit with KPMG, auditing banks and investment services companies. So uh, my passion became geared towards investment services, towards anything to do with private equity. Chicago is a big private equity hub. So I really enjoyed uh, looking at those businesses as an auditor, but I always wanted to eventually get that in-house glimpse and be able to truly uh, leverage on all my knowledge and, you know, show everything I've learned for 10 years in public accounting across so many different premier clients in the industry, and then take that and truly build out my own world, my own uh, accounting and finance operation as part of the company that was kind of pertaining to the sector I was learning about for so long. And I, I was given that uh, wonderful opportunity. Um, I moved to Miami to take a position in the accounting and finance group of HIG Capital, which is a global private equity firm. And little by little, I was promoted from, you know, senior manager to assistant controller, controller, director of finance, and finally the CFO. So my current uh, scope is far broader than accounting, yet accounting has always, just like I was told by the savvy academic advisors of HIG, remained that language. That, that technicality that is always a huge plus and allows me to see things uh, in a very different way, in a more detailed way, when that knowledge is extremely vital for everyone else in the room. So it just adds that additional touch that, that frankly is irreplaceable, and I continue enjoying it to this day. As an SAU alumni, how do you think – how, how did SAU prepare you for your current, current career? I currently work with uh, numerous Ivy League graduates, folks from the best schools in the country or in the world. We're a global company, so we have offices um, across the globe, with, again, Miami being the headquarters. And I have to say, not a day goes by that I'm not grateful for my preparation at SAU, um, I, you know, I came to SAU from a foreign country. I am, uh, I was born in Moscow, Russia, and I, I was a, a, a child to a mixed Russian and Ukrainian family. So, you know, I came to SAU as an exchange student with one suitcase, without a car, and SAU gave me tremendous preparation. Um, I was able to pass the CPA exam with no issues, in a very smooth and timely fashion. I never felt when I joined KPMG in Chicago, which is 
one of the main financial hubs in the country. Um, I never felt short of any area of preparedness compared to my peers, who again, most of them came from larger, more prominent schools. And now in my current job, again, I, I work and manage folks from uh, more, um, you know, well-known, if you will, schools. And I'm never, um, you know, uh, hesitant to mention my background because I always say, you know, SAU doesn't, you know, have any anything to envy uh, a larger uh, school because the way I received my accounting and finance uh, preparation and instruction was top-notch. The people were wonderful and the smaller class size and more homey environment, I think, just made us who we are these days, you know, probably a little bit more uh, humane and, you know, uh, attached to certain simple things. And it never hurt, frankly, from the boardroom to the conference room to anything in between in the corporate environment. Wow, that's extraordinary. I never, I, I never thought you, an SAU student, would be managing Ivy League college college students. That's impressive. Um, what does a day, what does a day in your job look like? Um, the exciting part of being a CFO is that every day is different, and you know it's my job to also make sure that my team um, routine, of course. In accounting and finance, there are a lot of workflows that have to be standard and consistent, but we still try to expose folks to many other areas of the organization so that they feel fulfilled and challenged. And again, since we speak that language of business, which is accounting, uh, we're constantly tapped into, my team and I, uh, by different uh, groups within the organization. So we constantly work with legal and investor services. Again, we're an investment firm. We have investor base that we have to uh, answer to. And so um, we are sort of that nucleus that everyone um, taps into for this and that piece of info. And that's exciting. And in my world, you know, it's obviously, it, it, it's a lot of analysis. It's a lot of review and managing the broader operation and always thinking about risk. You know, it's, it's my job to always think about what could go wrong, right, and prevent it from happening. Um, it's a lot of HR elements, although we have obviously a standalone HR group, but, you know, to, to make the team uh, be successful, you always have to think about everything from the day-to-day -day operations, making sure they're challenged and interact with other teams and, you know, handling all of our HR and kind of employee satisfaction priorities properly as well. We also own, uh, again, as an investment firm, as a private equity firm, a large portfolio of um, our companies, of our portfolio companies. And so um, any day can be different depending on specific needs of a particular portfolio company. Maybe we are um, investing additional, um, you know, funds into the company and the company is growing, or maybe we're about to exit the portfolio company, or there could be an event of a, an IPO, which is always very exciting. So it's kind of, you know, you have many children 
and any given day is different because of the needs of the, the, the large family. So that is that is usually how the day goes. How how I see you spoke on um, HR, the managing side of it. How does diversity and inclusion play a role in the success in the organization that you're in? That's a great question. It's a, it's a huge role, um, and we actually, you know, all the ESG uh, components, including diversity, have been on the forefront of our priorities recently. Uh, we speak to, in fact, it is so key that we speak formally to our investors about how committed we are to that aspect all the way, not just in our organization, but as a steward of our portfolio companies, because in many cases we own a controlling share. It's focusing all the way down, not just the HIG layer, but all the way down to our various numerous portfolio companies and their boards and their you know, executive composition and whatnot. And I'm proud to say that my team specifically, you know, you, you start with your own nucleus, right, and then you branch out and you manage other aspects, but you speak by example. And we we like to say that we are a little bit of a United Nations uh, uh, kind of commercial in a very positive way. Uh, we have um, multicultural, um, multi-country uh, representation on our team, with also a lot of emphasis for women of all backgrounds to be successful. And it's very gratifying for me when we do performance discussions to hear from folks and say, you know, you are the example. You're, you're, you're a girl from Eastern Europe who came to, you know, SAU with nothing and, you know, with no health, with no family, with no connections of any kind, just to a living relative, right, around you, you were able to do this. And, uh, you know, it's inspiring, and I love that. And, you know, we have working mothers and working fathers, and with COVID, you know, the work environment also has changed and presented additional uh, complexities. And so we look at all of that as that broader ESG, diversity, multicultural focus that has become so critical uh, to, frankly, the success of my team and any organization in a broader sense of things. Um, I hear you brought up COVID, and COVID impacted many industries. How did it impact your industry and the way you run things around your organization? It's a fantastic question. I think uh, we, we have all been touched. Uh, by, by this uh, unfortunate tragedy, I would call it. You know, we wish it never happened, but we also always learn and we adapt as humans. And so our focus was, A, to sustain the business, obviously, and make sure that, again, and we have a broader, this broader umbrella of not just us, but all of our portfolio companies. So our investment professionals spent countless days and months monitoring hundreds of portfolio companies and their respective teams to make sure that the operations were as unaffected as possible. Naturally, the entire world was affected and we had to pivot and adjust. I think for us, uh, both for my team and the broader organization in general, being planners, being always focused on risk, 
really paid off. So many years prior to COVID, we have always thought about, you know, if we talk specifically about my operation, accounting and finance, we always talked about, you know, we need to make sure that we have sustain a sustainable process. We have to think what could go wrong. We have to think about business disruptions and, you know, business continuity plans and contingency plans. And that is part of our governance as a broader organization regardless. But I, I'm happy to report that we were probably a bit more paranoid than, than some. And for instance, I um, took a lot of passion to technology from the early days of my career. And we were able to truly leverage technology to a very significant degree in a lot of very routine processes. So we use bots. We use all kinds of very highly sophisticated tools that I built in-house with my team and with the obvious assistance of a lot of qualified programmers. But those tools, they can run, you know, they, they can get COVID. They can run 24-7 and truly help us humans in very significant ways to, you know, separate the routine, the very robotic steps of what we humans do from those steps where truly the human element is needed. The analysis, the, you know, the, the, the different angles of the human brain are necessary. So our technology focus really shines through the early days of COVID when you know, people were sick, people were stressed out. We were able to really not skip a beat um, in our operations. We still met all our deadlines. We, we truly made it, although it was hard internally as for everyone, but externally there was virtually no sign of, you know, the world going through what, what, what was happening at the moment. It, our operations... Uh, remained um, untouched and, and delivered what it needed to deliver at that time. Um, from the broader standpoint, as an investment firm, um, again, we have a, a remarkable reputation for, you know, again, selecting our investments very carefully and then providing that stewardship and monitoring and growth to our companies. Um, and so every company was evaluated very carefully. Um, you know, and, and the most optimal approach of supporting it and guiding it through the times of COVID were selected. And, you know, we, we had a great track record, even during those, those very, very turbulent times. Um, and it was wonderful to see a number of uh, very successful exits uh, just recently. So it meant we were able to sustain the growth of these companies and support them in any way that, you know, a private equity manager should and ultimately lead them to a successful exit, which is ultimately the goal of, of what we do, our investment case. So it was a very gratifying thing to see. Um, what about the robots? Take me through the process of working with developers. How does that work? This is probably one of the most fascinating things that I have Again, take them to, and I, I've just seen what it can do for an organization, what it can do for all my team members. Um, I started hearing maybe about six to seven years ago about the, this new trend, this AI and robotic focus, and that, you know, you can do it too, and there are all these companies that are pitching, 
you know, these ideas. What I also knew is that no tool out of the box, you know, can just come and change your world. It is a two-way street, and you really need to, as a leader of your own team or organization, you need to understand those tools, and you need to truly um, guide the developers to what you need. So to just invite someone, and it could be the most successful and high-profile consulting and, you know, IT company out there, but they don't know your internal world. And every company, and as an auditor, seeing so many companies, I saw that every company has a unique DNA. It's truly not a cliche. It's very, very accurate. So for technology to come and help you, you really need to understand technology, and you need to work with the developers so that it's it's built exactly to your specifications. So we were always joking, you know, my team was like, there's Natalia sitting there, you know, cloning her DNA. And that's exactly what we needed to do. So, you know, if there was a process in the early days of my career that I perfected and I wanted humans to repeat, uh, I developed checklists and guides and templates that humans would follow. So that was a stepping stone to eventually giving it to the machine. If you skip that step, the instructions are missing. All that meat on the bones is missing. So whatever the developer is going to build is not going to address the needs. That's precisely. So we didn't skip that step. And once we were ready, we saw that, let's say, for the quarterly close, we do things A to Z in a very prescribed fashion that myself and my team by hand scripted out in a very robotic way. However, humans were going through those steps. And what was happening, humans make mistakes. Humans get distracted. And there were certain things that we said, you know what? A machine would be better because a machine can run the report. It can save it. It can name it. It can even do certain checks, certain, you know, accuracy checks and whatnot. And we kept growing. So we said, okay, let's try this. So we worked for several years with, um, again, very prominent programmers. But again, the investment of time from us was that essential key to success. And we now have a number of robots who do different things for us. Um, they can monitor email traffic and flag certain files with certain names or characteristics that need to be saved and maybe scan for certain information. And the bot can then send an email to our team saying, uh, and we give them all different names. We have uh, Jerry Seinfeld, and we have Oprah Winfrey, and we have a few other celebrity names. Uh, we have a little competition going with the team, and they give bots different names. But uh, just aside, it has, the team started seeing that the value from these tools that adds to their day-to-day -day is truly, you know, it cannot be underscored because, you know, humans spend a lot of time typically in a typical accounting operation doing very routine tasks. And when they need to then pivot and do the most value-added tasks, they're tired, right? So it really enhanced our process. We also started seeing that our auditors, when we give them footnotes that are produced by the boss utilizing the DNA of my team and all the logic that we scripted personally. 
right, based on our knowledge and many years of, of expertise, they're very impressed because they say, well, they're fairly no mistakes. We, you know, and everything is so consistent and everything is so clean and, you know, robotic. <laughs> and we really uh, eliminated any types of comments and imperfections to close to 99%. But it's that 1%. But again, it's that area of risk where humans need to focus all of their energy. And we also say, you know, technology is wonderful and it's the way of the future. And we're very proud of what we've accomplished internally as well as working with auditors and other external parties utilizing technology to the fullest degree. But you can never turn your brain off and you can never over rely on technology. Technology is there to help us, but we need qualified, diligent, well-prepared humans to monitor technology and then add that human touch. That has been our formula and it's been working very, very well, and it's truly a fascinating um, set of kind of human development, I think, in the professional space where we can have the, you know, great benefits uh, from using these tools. Incredible. Um, I want to move to a kind of a cultural or I should say a team-based, and what are the benefits of studying and working with people from different backgrounds? Tremendous. Um, I'm one of them. I'm a living proof, you know, um, someone from Eastern Europe who, you know, speaks multiple languages, who came to SAU, and I also have a degree from Moscow, so a linguistics degree um, that I finished sort of in parallel um, with uh, already going to school at SAU, so it was a very busy time. But, you know, when I came to SAU, and even prior, I always had a passion for languages. So even growing up in uh, Russia and being, you know, part Ukrainian, part Russian, I always had appreciation for different cultures. Uh, in my school, um, you know, there, there were kids of different backgrounds and um, a lot of children, because of the focus on foreign languages at the school um, of folks who worked abroad. So, you know, I started getting that taste uh, but really, it got maximized once I came to SAU, and I was first an exchange student. And so I worked as a pres presidential ambassador as well at SAU. So it just broadened my my uh, horizons and exposure to different cultures. My husband is from Guatemala, so we are an extremely diverse family. Um, and again, we speak different languages at home. Um, so, again, it, it started at SAU mainly seeing um, all the different folks from either different parts of the U.S. or different uh, countries and definitely different backgrounds in all of those cases. Um, either, you know, in sports, my husband played baseball for SAU, and again, had, that, that was a very diverse program with um, uh, some athletes coming from other countries and, again, very different backgrounds. And then taking it into the corporate environment where, you know, maybe when I was stepping into the boardroom in the early days when I was working for KPMG, uh, it was very unexpected to see me there, right? And, um, you know, we had very interesting discussions and maybe I felt surprised on uh, people's faces, but I also learned that preparedness and um, acceptance 
and certain behaviors that I learned, again, throughout my education and from my family, really go a very long way. And um, little by little, I saw that um, when I was going back to that boardroom, it was my knowledge and my preparedness and the results of my work that were speaking for themselves. And, you know, the, the overall climate changed and the, the dialogue changed and it became more open. And so I started transmitting the same principles to my team. Uh, KPMG, you know, as a big four accounting firm, has always been very focused on culture and diversity and all the current uh, most um, vital initiatives in the workforce. And so, um, I've, as I mentioned, I've always enjoyed the HR aspect and worked very closely with HR leadership at KPMG and was very happy to see lower than typical turnover on my team, hopefully as a result of that. I, I think it was definitely a part of that. Um, and then again, going back to HIG um, and my current team, we have, um, we have folks from different countries, different backgrounds, different races, and sitting around that table for our team meeting, we always let everyone chime in. Uh, we always keep everyone posted, and I think who we are and how we're viewed as an internal brand of HIG is truly the product of that. Um, you know, um, we, we have a very... Um, distinct reputation internally and there is nothing more gratifying for me than to get a call from a senior uh, level professional at the company saying, you know, such and such is just so wonderful. Um, it's, it's definitely the team culture and all the different elements of it that play a role in the ultimate brand of your team and there's nothing more gratifying for me than that. Um, what was the benefits of working for the Big Four firm early in your career? Great question. I truly think, obviously, everyone has a different path, but for an accounting major who wants to work um, with anything connected to accounting, and definitely it's the path that's desired is to work for a big company, uh, Big Four experience is vital. It's, it's very highly recommended. Um, in, in the big four, and again, KPMG is still my home, just like SAU is. Um, and, you know, but, the, but the, the big four environment challenges you, prepares you at a very fast pace, and then challenges you tremendously in a very healthy way, uh, prepares you to what's out there. So you, you have to learn very quickly, and you have to become part of multiple teams and you go to multiple clients, and you work with different personalities, with different executives, and the fact that you're auditing them uh, adds an extra notch, obviously, an extra layer of complexity. But again, you learn uh, that if you do your job well, you can be an auditor, and you can be and should be an appreciated auditor. You still maintain that professional guard and, you know, all the needed, um, you know, focus on the fact that, yes, you are auditing this company. However, um, your qualifications, you're following your company's, uh, you know, preparation and training and all the needed rules 
um, will make you a very helpful participant in the overall financial reporting process because ultimately the audit is needed, right? So it's, it's establishing all of these fine lines very quickly in your career as you're navigating the very challenging and demanding role of an auditor and also want to build relationships with your clients and step into those board meetings and truly add value. Um, and I think, again, the big four, they're just known rightfully for their uh, passion for training people, selecting top talent, investing in their talent, and, you know, making sure that folks get a very broad range of experiences across the client base. So, um, you know, when we look for candidates to join my team, I certainly like to see, again, nothing is perfect. We're not looking for a perfect recipe. There is no perfect recipe. But if there is an ingredient that is very, very favorable and adds tremendous value, it's working for the big four. And I will also add, last but not least, when I joined KPMG, um, the overall big four industry went through a big shock. It was the Enron scandal. And we were in Chicago where Arthur Anderson was headquartered. And we saw what these types of extreme uh, events um, can cause to human capital of these companies and the overall industry. We were all very uh, significantly impacted by additional clients. Uh, years of re-audits that we had to do. And again, it added stress, but it also, you know, it's training by fire. We, we were, you know, embracing what was happening in the industry and adapting and learning. And sometimes, you know, in the big four, um, you have to step up. And guess what? Outside of the big four, very frequently you have to step up. So it just, it just grooms you. Uh, for, for that ability to adapt and pivot and learn quickly and, you know, add value. So when you went up to, when, when you went up the corporate ladder and you start managing, managing so many people, how, what was the change and how was the adapta- adaptation process? I think, and, and I feel I actually had a, a performance discussion with one of my managers yesterday, and, you know, I, I truly enjoy the mentoring and um, coaching aspect. It's, it's very important in what we do because we can't do it alone. And I think the biggest challenge, and it continues to be the challenge no matter which level of the corporate ladder one is at, is letting go. You know, as you manage more and more people, you have to let go. You have to let them perform. You have to let them sometimes make mistakes. Um, and it's very challenging. I saw it, you know, in the audit environment when you get promoted to the audit senior and then audit manager. And you have to depend on people. And it's stressful, right, because you, you might have your perfect world and you've been doing all your tasks and you've been... Uh, you know, reporting to your management, and it's all good. But it's essential to let go. Uh, I call it letting go with caution and, you know, again, looking for risks. And it's a, always a risk-based approach to every area, right? Um, but going back to coaching people, it's absolutely essential. So it's a lot easier and more um, risk-appropriate. Um, uh, to 
let go in the right areas where folks have been carefully trained and mentored, and they continue being um, overseen and guided. So uh, that has proven to be the, the most effective formula. It's not the perfect formula, but and you also have different personalities. So some folks you need to let them be a little more independent. Some might need more guidance, and it you know it comes with experience developing that touch for every person or for every group. Eventually, once you start managing different teams. Um, you know, taking their pulse and making sure that you adapt. It's adaptability, it's um, insight, it's being, uh, you know, allowing people to work but yet staying close and achieving that right balance to ultimately deliver exceptional results that we're striving for. Um, I also want to ask you, what are the benefits of taking and passing the C CPA exam early? Extremely important. Um, I know the the format of the exam has changed, and you know it's probably uh, hopefully a little less stressful than what it was when I was taking it. But in any case, once you leave the college environment and go into the uh, your first job, typically it comes with many other changes in your life, family geography sometimes, and many other very important developmental factors. And again, as a mentor to people, I've seen where once it goes to that stage, it's a lot harder to focus on exam prep, uh, you know, finding that time, the job can present unusual challenges. And so it's just, it's it kind of, in a very good way, ripping that band-aid and, and getting it done as early as possible so that you could focus, fully focus on that step of your career. And I think, you know, while not always a perfect uh, scenario, but there is a connotation that if folks take a little too long, of course, unless there's a, a reasonable explanation and there certainly could be one, um, you know, it's that commitment, right? So employers do look at the resume of a person to see what has been accomplished and when. And, you know, obviously if one um, is intending to pursue a career in accounting, this is a very important, most focal milestone at that stage of graduating with an accounting degree. So, uh, you know, there is an expectation there, that there would be a sense of urgency to complete it and wrap it up to then move to bigger and greater things. When in accounting, laws are always changing and you're having to learn new things every year, basically. So how do how do how how does that look inside an organization when you have to learn so many things every year and you have to adapt to certain, certain laws? Absolutely. No, um, the technical part, right, we can do so many fun things and work with bots and, you know, focus on so many important priorities, but... Going back to basics, right, the language of accounting and the language of regulatory and um, U.S. GAAP and, and other changes is key. So uh, we have a very robust workflow to screen for any new developments. We obviously work with um, very prominent teams from the big four firms in, in various capacities as our advisors or auditors or 
everything in between. So um, we have a designated folks who do technical research, myself included. Anything that affects our industry or any general accounting or auditing or compliance rule that affects us is flagged by both our technical research team, our compliance team, and then our third parties that work and assist us with making sure we always benchmark to the top, um, you know, developments in the industry. So we usually check with multiple advisors if there is a new rule, and we like to, you know, make sure that the way we interpret it, we always formulate our own reaction and understanding, and then go through multiple external teams to re-screen it and get their take and make sure that we benchmark also to how others are interpreting it because there could be gray areas and so you start looking at public filings and any best practices that are out there to make sure that we're always keeping that top edge um, in anything that's, that's affecting us from the regulatory or accounting pronouncement perspective. There is something that I want to um, I want to touch on as well. Your husband is he's a successful restaurant owner. Can you can you talk to me about how how it's been going from um, a CFO going home to your husband who is a successful re- restaurant owner? Can you Absolutely. can you elaborate on that? So my husband, who um, his name is Eduardo Mira, and he graduated. Uh, together with me um, from SAU. He is originally from Guatemala and he was um, a student, uh, part of the baseball program. So he played baseball, he was a pitcher for SAU um, and he studied business administration with the emphasis on marketing. Uh, When we moved to Chicago, um, he started working in kind of a mix of marketing uh, and food industry models. So he was always with food industry-related companies, doing a lot of things that that were harvesting his marketing knowledge. But little by little, so he worked for um, RMark and Cisco and those big um, food food industry giants in different capacities, but always kind of harnessing that marketing expertise, but little by little, he got exposed to many chefs in Chicago, very prominent chefs, uh, many successful restaurants, and he started developing passion for food, for quality food, for the knowledge of food, and he became what we sometimes, you know, call him an encyclopedia of food, because as, and, and eventually he started selling food to the top establishments in Chicago. So he worked with chefs and formulating their menus and making sure, you know, that if they needed a piece of steak from the best farm in the state of this specific emphasis and, you know, USDA prime grade, he knew exactly where to, to go and all the standards and whatnot. So uh, little by little, as he continued working in the industry, that idea, you know, kept tickling him to eventually start something of his own. And four years ago, a little over four years ago, um, here in South Florida, he was fortunate enough to open his restaurant. Um, uh, it's called Malbec Grill. Uh, it's in Parkland, Florida, um, not far from Fort Lauderdale and Boca. It's kind of between 
Fort Lauderdale and Boca, roughly. Um, and um, it's, it's a steakhouse. It's um, um, showing all of his meat knowledge that he has acquired over the years and him working with all these top chefs and, uh, you know, top salespeople in the industry and visiting uh, meat meat farms and meat producers and factories and looking at the different standards and truly seeing what, what works for him. Um, and, and it has that Latin touch. It has the Argentinian touch. So it's very creative and it allows him uh, to truly put uh, a special, unique touch to uh, the preparation, to the sauces, to the presentation. And I think for us as a couple, um, and again, uh, a couple who has been together since we were college students at SAU. Uh, it, it's truly fascinating, and, and we complement each other very well because, you know, I manage this um, fascinating universe uh, that's very technical and very, you know, precise, and then he comes from a different spectrum of creativity and, you know, um, kind of servicing people and giving them special moments because that's, that's what food service is, is a lot about, right? And, and so it's a lot more than just food. It's, it's the entire aspect of making people happy and celebrating their significant milestones and events. So we learn a lot from each other up to this day as we talk about, for instance, some of the topics we touched upon, the effect of COVID the, you know, the importance of, you know, focus on diversity and inclusion, um, or just overall priorities in today's world and the workforce, what we as employers have to do to support people. And it's fascinating that, frankly, most of these subjects have very common threads, whether it's the restaurant industry or the financial services industry, uh, and, and I think it always goes back to the need to support your people, train your people, inspire your people, um, you know, and, and it goes a long way in both of our universes. So it's truly fascinating. Definitely. Um, this will conclude our interview. I would like to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to, to talk on Let's Careers. Definitely. Um, I would love to talk to your husband as well. It seems like he has a fascinating story. We would love to have him as well. Definitely let him know we're interested in talking to him. And hey, that's it was it was it was great talking to you and learning learning about your extraordinary career. Thank you I so hope. much. It's a privilege for me. Thank Definitely. you. Definitely. And I hope to hear from you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye.